Love from point blank range. Here goes putting in the lead column. This is Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, we are underway this hour on Flames Talk. It is Tuesday, December 12th. From our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, we're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. we got lots going on when it comes to the Flames. we got lots going on around the NHL, including some late-breaking news as we're doing this live on a Tuesday afternoon, which we'll get to with our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli, right now. Frank Saravalli brought to you by South Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit South Trail Exports. Sports.com. And Frank joins us now from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. Hello, Mr. Saravalli. How are we on this Tuesday? Uh, pretty good, Pat. How are you? I'm doing well. It's good to uh, it's good to have you aboard. Um, we'll get to that news uh, out of Washington in just a second, um, mm-hmm. and lots of uh, lots of trade news uh, or at least trade speculation around the NHL as well. And I guess that's that's where we'll start on the local front as well because we saw the Flames lose Chris Tanev Monday night in Colorado early mm-hmm. on, but it also feels like they might have dodged the bullet, dodged a bit of a bullet. Doesn't seem like it is going to be a significant long term injury as it stands right now. I just I'm I'm curious from your standpoint and maybe even with people you might have checked in with around the league if seeing him leave that game and seeing him not return heck we saw him get hit in the face of the puck blocking a shot a couple of weeks ago again I just wonder if that ups the urgency or ups the desperation level if they're going to trade him to maybe not wait to do so because we know the style of game he plays yeah, he's kind of a magnet for it, isn't he? Like, it seems like every time you turn around, you're watching a Flames game and Chris Tanev is going down the tunnel for some kind of observation. He he makes it back, he battles through, and part of what you absolutely love to see about him is the part that also, as a manager, probably makes you cringe is in a in a contract year, are we moving this guy or not? And is there a penalty potentially for waiting? Um, no one has a crystal ball. I I'm, I'm imagining that the Calgary flames front office today is breathing a sigh of relief that this doesn't appear to be overly serious that I'm told Tanev woke up today feeling pretty good. Uh, they're being pretty precautious about it. If this was a must win situation, if this was a playoff series and they were playing a back to back, my guess is Chris Tanev would probably be in the lineup tonight but they want to take their time and they want to make sure that he is as healthy as possible because just as we're all watching it intently, so are a bunch of the managers around the league that are looking for help on the blue line. What uh, What is your gauge on how much interest there is league-wide on Tanev right now? I think there's. it's pretty significant. I think really what the flames are trying to sift and sort through is what's the ceiling. Is there a chance that we can get to a late first round pick for Chris Tanev? And will we only get there by waiting? And then to your point, the question about the injury is if someone is offering us a second right now, what do we do? Are we better off trying to dig for more 
Are we better off trying to continue to compete for a playoff spot? There's a lot of different parts of this to try and weigh that I think the Flames have have had to consider all different facets of it because um, they're not in a really comfortable position right now, one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of that's that's kind of the dilemma that you've got with you know all of these pending UFAs. If you're the Flames, like if if they do opt to move all three of the big names, Tanev, Hannafin. Lindholm, when is the right time to maximize return? Is it is it now, or are you going to get more if you wait until early March or late February with the risk that goes along with it? I don't know if there's a right answer on it, Frank, but that's that's probably on all three of them. Typically, what wrestling with. yeah, they are, and typically the answer has been to wait as close as you can within that final week to to ring out the best price that you can, but especially with with Tanev, not to say that the other guys can't get injured, but it feels like with Tanev, the longer you wait, you're playing yourself into a position where you might not be able to get anything. And so, as I mentioned, the is the better play to maybe take a little less now, but ensure that you get something. And that's, again, not an easy spot to be in. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the uh, the situation with the uh, Flames pending unrestricted free agents and Chris Tanev and that situation. So better news than maybe it looked like on Monday after the hit. We're talking with Frank Saravalli, our daily face-off NHL insider, who joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk. Uh, let's, let's get to the news that uh, just came down here in the last little bit. Tell us what is happening uh, in Washington, D.C. is the Capitals and, and maybe that uh, basketball team that shares the uh, Verizon Center with them, or Capital One Arena, or whatever it's called right now. Um, but it looks like we are, are we seeing a, a potential move out of Washington, D.C.? Yes, uh, that's coming from uh, News 7 in Washington. Kind of a sizable story here, and one that wasn't on my bingo card and certainly wasn't on my radar with how much money the Caps and Wizards have poured into Capital One Arena in the last few years with renovations. But um, the report is that um, Washington Capitals owner Ted Leonsis is preparing to say goodbye to D.C. and that both teams are going to build an arena and a retail complex and and 3,000-seat music venue uh, in Alexandria, Virginia, so across the river. Uh, what's fascinating about that is if that does indeed become true and there's apparently a major announcement and press conference scheduled for 9 a.m. Eastern on Wednesday morning, if that happens, I don't know if you've noticed, it's a little small detail, but on the Caps uniforms, there's three stars and the stars represent Maryland, D.C. and Virginia. So the uh, that core of their metro area, if they end up moving to Virginia, they will have now played home games in all three stars on their uniform. They played, of course, in Landover, Maryland for many years, in downtown D.C. in a really cool venue in Chinatown, which uh, I'm kind of sad to see them leave, if that is indeed the case, one of the more unique arenas in the NHL. And then to, to now go out to Alexandria, where it's sort of the base of money and power in uh, the D.C. metro area. Yeah, and, and having never been to the U.S. Capitol, I, I actually am relying on you on this one more than anything else. So it's kind of like they're staying in the metro area, just leaving downtown D.C. Is that is that the correct interpretation? 
Yes, that it's uh, it's very close. I'd say it's you know, like you're talking a handful of miles, um, but it's a totally different switch. Like they were in a, a downtown D.C. arena that D.C. is known for its gridlock and traffic. It's, you know, accessible by uh, their metro subway system. Uh, parking has kind of been a bear. You've got to park in a garage, you know, near the arena. And now they could potentially, uh, depending on where the site of this is in Alexandria, spread out a little bit. Uh, Potomac Yard is where they're looking. So okay. uh, certainly a change of pace would be for the Caps that, I, you know, again, of all the teams that needed new arenas, they weren't very high on my list. Okay. Um, are they uh, are they front runners to land free agent defenseman Ethan Bear? Is that kind of what we're understanding right now? Yeah, not front runners so much as I think it's a done deal. Okay. Uh, it's a multi-year deal that'll be coming for Ethan Bear. I think they're sort of putting the finishing touches on that and what it'll look like. But it sounds like a, a two-year deal for Ethan Bear that uh, at this point in his career, uh, they were one of the few teams that was able to offer some security and stability from a financial perspective that um, I think makes a lot of sense for him to take and also some more opportunity. You've seen them turn over their blue line a little bit in these last couple years. They've got Faravari in their lineup. They've got uh, Sandine, who they've given a pile of ice time to, and now add in another guy uh, on the younger end in, in Ethan Bear that I think, you know, when he gets in there and is able to return from his pretty significant offseason surgery, mm -hmm. that um, it's just more opportunity than he might have gotten in another place. Did uh, So was it just too, like, was potentially keeping him in Vancouver just too expensive for the Canucks blood and their cap situation? Yeah, I don't think they were willing to go multi-year, and I don't think that they were willing to go to the level of, of pay that um, – they, they're not able to afford him, quite frankly, that he's going to get in Washington. I think it's a two-year, $2 million deal. Okay. So um, just a little bit more than what they wanted to pay. And um, same thing for a team like Toronto. Like Again, they're trying to acquire as many defensive pieces as they can to take care of that money and cap space that they have from John Klingberg and his season-ending injury that they're trying to add two, maybe three defensemen well, you've got to, you know, get one of those guys at league minimum in order to to make that happen, and um, that's certainly not something that Bear was willing to give up. Which, okay. Again, I understand coming off a major surgery like that, you haven't made a pile of money in your career. You gotta you gotta cash the checks when you can. Um, speaking of Vancouver, there's a lot of buzz surrounding Andre Kuzmenko's future there. I know head coach Rick Tockett has not been enamored with his play so far this year. The numbers are down from his breakout 39 goal season last year. Is is this a prime candidate to get moved? What are we thinking on Kuzmenko and his future with the Canucks? I know a lot of people have been asking. I don't think that's something that they're really hungry to do at this time. And I know the situation has sort of devolved a little bit. You had the healthy scratch mixed in there, some some public comments from Tockett. But I think they're hoping to try and find a way to rehab this game and better his game and have him better fit within the parameters of what they're looking for from him. You mentioned it last year. It was an eye-opening, jaw-dropping rookie NHL season for someone to come over from Russia, 
not sure what to make of his expectations, 39 goals and 74 points. And you're like, holy smokes, they were able to get that for free uh, by just being able to convince him to, to sign with them as a free agent. It was a major boon for Patrick Alvin and the Canucks. Hasn't gone as swimmingly this year, of course, but rather than trade a player at his lowest and someone I'm sure is looking at him saying, hey, he didn't just wake up this year and forget how to play hockey at age 27, um, that it makes more sense for this team to try and at least exercise uh, as much as they can uh, that option and flexibility to try and get him to play more within their scheme. Yeah. Uh, last, uh, last, I guess, trade target or potential trade target. We know that there is potentially a move coming for Tyson Berry out of Nashville. What are we, uh, what are we hearing there about Barry's future? Yeah, that one has been a little bit more clouded. I think there's been a few teams that have been interested, but I think really what the Preds, what they're relying on the Preds to do is retain some money. He has four and a half million dollars that he's owed uh, cap wise for this season. Real cash is a bit lower uh, because he was paid a signing bonus. But um, when you look at the Preds and the spot that they're in, um, like they've already retained two salaries, Ryan Johansson and Matthias Ekholm. So they only have one more slot left. And I think part of what the Preds are weighing is, is there anyone else that we'd like to move on this year, uh, at least while Barry's in the last year of his deal, that would otherwise preclude us from using that retained salary transaction spot. So that's been part of it. But you know, I think there's lots of game left for Tyson Barry, who'd like to find a fit at age 32, a true power play specialist, someone that, you know, you look at the job that he did the last few years with the Edmonton Oilers, um, and he's such a well-respected uh, teammate and well-liked teammate that I think there's lots of teams that could use a defenseman like him. And and excuse my ignorance on this one, just because I, I've seen... You You're know, so ignorant. I know. God. Just excuse it if you can for this one question. But I've just... I've seen a lot on on social media, you know, some people talking about, okay, what could the Predators... Can't believe get? everything you read, Pat. I know. I'm very well aware of that. It's the... Uh, this past uh, this past week has been good um, good lesson on that. Um, but you've got some people talking about okay, what could the Predators get for Tyson Berry, and then you've got other people saying, well, what could we get if we took on Tyson Berry? Like, are you are, is is this is this a situation where the Preds get an asset for the player? That's pro is that what we're talking about, or is this a Ryan yeah, Johansson no, situation? I, uh... No, I don't think this is a Ryan Johansson type situation. Okay. I'm not saying the Preds are going to knock it out of the park in in getting something huge for Tyson Barry, but if they retain, I think they're certainly in line to get it. Okay. Uh, thank you for clarifying. Uh, a couple more with Frank Saravalli, our daily faceoff NHL insider. Um, the, the old dreaded vote of confidence. Uh, Kyle Dubas gave it to Mike Sullivan, the head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins, earlier this week. That's not what happened. That's not what happened? No, I, I, I've I've seen the headline and I've like to listen to the audio. It's quite a bit different. And I would say there are very few coaches in this league that are more bulletproof than than Mike Sullivan. OK, how come? And I'm sorry to make that sound combative. I, I've no, just seen fine. this story play out over and over over the last 24 hours and Look, Mike Sullivan is a Boston guy who works for Boston-based owners, and he implicitly has their trust. Is that to say that they can't turn on him? 
Uh, no, that's that's not the case. But think back to Kyle Dubas's predecessor, Ron Hextall. Mike Sullivan got this contract extension that hasn't even yet kicked in, which makes him one of the highest paid coaches in the league. He got that extension directly through ownership. It went around the general manager of the team. So now there's a new GM in place. And for better or worse, whether Kyle Dubas likes him, loves him, hates him, thinks he's a good coach or a terrible coach, I'm here to tell you that Mike Sullivan is not going anywhere. And I'll take it one step further than that. Mike Sullivan, I don't, I don't know about you, but I watched this Penguins team. And for a coach who has one of the best records in the league since he was hired and has two Stanley Cups on his resume, I don't look at, at the Penguins and their shortcomings this year and say, you know what, that goes back to their coach. It's his fault. Right. Interesting. And, and the only reason I, I, I phrased it that way because you always you don't ever get the whether it's a vote of confidence or a GM talking about a coach you typically don't get it if your team is meeting or exceeding expectations it only happens when a team is not playing very well that's when you get the questions about a coach and his future but that's an interesting so so his his situation he's he's firmly entrenched with the penguins would be the biggest takeaway from that hey I'd be very surprised if Kyle Dubas would have the autonomy to fire okay. Mike Sullivan if he okay. wanted to. Okay. Nope, that's fair. Um, all right, last last point to wrap it up. It's um it's not on national television in this country, but south of the border. Connor versus Connor is coast to coast on ESPN, Blackhawks, Oilers, Bedard, and McDavid. Uh that, that that's that's a good thing for the league. A little national television exposure in prime time in the central market. That's that's a good thing for this league, I think. I mean, we have different definitions, I guess, of prime time. It starts at 10 Eastern and also 9 p.m. Central time. Isn't that, isn't that, usually, what I, isn't that usually what prime time is, 9 o'clock in the local market? I don't know. It's. I'll tell you what, at 10 o'clock Eastern is not. So, um, look, I, I'm, I think you could have found a way to, to schedule this one a little bit better, given that it's the first time these two guys are meeting. I I can't wait for this game. Like Connor versus Connor is is next level. I like there was some talk in the last 24 to 48 hours. If you could pick one guy, which would you build a franchise around? And then the next question was is does does Bedard have a chance to to knock McDavid off the mantle as he's sort of the challenger in the generational category? And I I think both of those questions are absolute lunacy. Um I, I think Connor McDavid, when it's all said and done, he, he's very close to it already for me, but he's like right on my Mount Rushmore of NHL players of all time. He's he's that good. And he's accomplished that much already, uh, minus the Stanley Cup. And Bedard, I think, is going to be an incredibly special player. I think he's on track to be or I think he will accomplish becoming just the second 18-year-old uh, to hit 40 goals in his rookie season in the salary cap era. Um, he, I just see him eventually getting to the next rung down from Connor McDavid, which, again, given the lofty place that I just put him in, is a still pretty good place to be. Yeah, that's not bad. I'm looking forward to it. 
Uh, thank you, Frank. That was fun as always. Great insight, my friend. We'll do it again next week, hey? Sounds good. Have a good one. He is Frank Saravalli. He's our daily face-off NHL insider. He joins us every Tuesday here on Flames Talk. Lots there, whether it's Tanev's future, whether it's the future of the Washington Capitals in the Washington, D.C. downtown area. Uh, Mike Sullivan, Andre Kuzmenko, and a whole lot more. Frank joins us every Tuesday here on Flames Talk, and he joins us brought to you by South Trail Exports with inventory shortages across the city. It's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit South Trail exports.com Flames Talk is live on Calgary's hockey station Sportsnet 960 The Fan Alright on this uh, Tuesday December 12th Pat Steinberg look who's back let's say hello to uh, Wes Gilbertson who is back in the city and back on Flames Talk can, can you see me waving? I can, I can, can anybody else know? <laughs> Not even Cam and Taylor can see you waving Wes Gilbertson's back with us for the next, uh, this week and next week. It's good to have you back. You look uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed after a uh, well-deserved jaunt to Hawaii. So, well done. Welcome back. Um, We've got a lot to break down. That was ugly on, uh, that was ugly. Well, there were pretty parts of it. Right. But once you ripped the mask off, it was pretty ugly on on Monday night. It was 51 minutes and change of maybe the most plucky performance we've seen out of the Calgary Flames all season, which is saying something because there's been a ton of them. And then the wheels came off. They sure did. Uh, let's dive in on our Daily Flames roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. Now, uh, Derek Wills, the voice of the Flames, joins the program as well. And, you know, one of the things that... Uh, definitely needs to be discussed coming out of Monday's loss is the fact that not only did they lose the game, they also lost Chris Tanev. He is not going to play Tuesday in the second half of the back-to-back in Vegas. So essentially, because he played one shift in 15 seconds of the game on Monday, Flames are now going to be without Tanev for a second consecutive game. Just so happens they had to play with five defensemen on Monday. So day-to-day, upper body injury is the word on Tanev. Flames have recalled Nick D. Simone from the American League. He's going to meet the team in Vegas. Don't know if he's going to play, but... Gents, is there a player on this roster as Chris Tanev exits for at least one game here? Is there a player on this roster that affects the team more or that is more noticeable when he's not in the lineup than Chris Tanev? Because honestly, I, I don't know if I can think of one. Well, first of all, welcome back, Wes. Thank you, sir. I'm glad that you're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed because I'm not. Last night was tough. Flames blew a two-goal lead in the third period, and the Dolphins blew a two-touchdown lead in the fourth quarter. So uh, I was up uh, mulling over those two things until about 4 a.m. So it's been a long day of prep for me, uh, but maybe not as long a day as it's been for Chris Tanev. It was tough to see him leave the hockey game after that uh, hit last night. I would say uh, questionable body check is how I would describe that by Ross Colton, who does uh, have a history of being that type of player. He plays on the edge, and I thought that hit was um, on the edge last night. But you lose your best defensive defenseman 15 seconds into any game, and that's going to be a problem. To lose it 15 seconds into what turned into a Wild West shootout with the Avalanche, a team that uh, can come at you in waves, as we saw in the third period, that's just about 
worst case scenario for the Flames, who uh, I thought did, for the most part, an admirable job without him. Uh, they were down to five defensemen, couldn't just put pairings on the ice. They had to rotate through those five guys. I thought Dennis Gilbert did a great job stepping up and, and playing an increased role. Uh, finished with a career-high two points, was somehow plus two in a 6-5 loss, had four hits, four blocks, played uh, more than 20 minutes for the first time this season. But just uh, a lot to ask from those five guys. Uh, and the Flames are going to have to probably play without him for at least a couple of games here. Uh, I guess the good news, if you look hard enough, you can usually find a, a silver lining in almost anything. The good news is... Uh, Chris Tanev has been relatively healthy since signing with the Flames four summers ago. This will just be the 22nd regular season and postseason game that he's missed. And believe it or not, guys, this actually surprised me when I looked it up today. The Flames were 2-2 two and two in four Stanley Cup playoff games without him back in 2022. And were actually above 500 in the win-loss column in 17 games without him last season, going 8-6-3. and three. So... It's far from ideal that they're going to be without one of their top four defensemen. And in my opinion, their best defensive defenseman and most important penalty killing skater in Chris Tanev in tonight's game against the Golden Knights. But you know, short term, hopefully guys can can all do a little bit more and, and help the Flames get through. But he is long term, probably as indispensable as any player on this team just because he touches so many areas of the game. And because he's always impacted his partner to, to such a huge degree. Uh, Noah Hannafin will probably be the first guy to tell you that he's better with Chris Tanev than without Chris Tanev. So they're going to miss him five on five. They're going to miss him on the penalty kill. They're going to miss him if they're trying to protect uh, a one or two goal lead late in the hockey game. They certainly did last night. Uh, but yeah, he's as important a part as they probably have, in my opinion. Yeah, I think despite that 8-6-3 and three record last season that, that you referenced without Chris Tanev, you could certainly make a case that there is not a more noticeable absence when he's not in the lineup than number eight would be. And, and I even go back to Rasmus Anderson's suspension at the start of this season, and, and I guess I thought that might turn the tables for me a little bit, that, that I might you know, leave that stretch saying, you know what, Rasmus Anderson is the guy that they're in toughest without, but it honestly, guys, it might still be Chris Tanev. That there's just nobody that has that calming influence on the defense, especially, but I think on the Flames as a whole that he has. And and obviously, we're never gonna know what would have happened last night in that third period without Chris Tanev, but he's one of those guys that when things go sideways, he just seems to clean up the mess for you. And am I saying that the Colorado Avalanche couldn't have scored three goals in four minutes and change with Chris Tanev in the game? No, that's not what I'm saying, but I think the likelihood of that happening changes a bunch with Chris Tanev. And that's what makes him so difficult for this team to play without. And I think as Craig Conroy ponders the future, and that's always a part of the Chris Tanev conversation. We got a glimpse last night of yeah. how difficult it is going to be to replace Chris Tanev if you determine that you're going to trade him away. So two things for me. Number one, uh, I don't think there is a more noticeable player, like noticeable, whether it's uh, whether it's the most impactful loss, that's almost a different conversation, but just noticeably, 
it feels like every time that's guy out of the that, that guy's out of the lineup, the the team just looks like a different team because not only is we, we, we talk all the time about fearlessness and warrior and all that type of stuff and all that is true, but there's a whole lot more to the Chris Tanev package than just blocking shots with his face and uh playing through ridiculous pain and injuries. We're also talking about if he's not the best, he is one of their two or three best guys of skating pucks out of danger. Nobody makes better decisions on the team under pressure than Tanev does. The way that he plays defensively, his shutdown ability uh, is is top notch, and and the fact that he can do it against the best players on the other side. You know, there's just so many different aspects of the game that Tanev touches that when he's out. I, I really, really feel, I go back to last season, you mentioned the 17 games, Wilsey, well, uh, it, it felt most noticeable, especially in the first game or two when he'd be out. It always felt noticeable that Tanev wasn't in there. And here's the second part. This might be the most noticeable it's ever been because no longer do they have the Nikita Zadorov cushion because Nikita's now a member of the Vancouver Canucks. And yeah. so now with Chris Tanev out of the lineup, you're inserting Nick DeSimone or you're inserting Jordan Osterley into the lineup on, on Tuesday against the defending cup champions. And you're elevating one of Ilya Solovyov or probably Dennis Gilbert, who hats off to him, uh, did a great job playing 20 plus minutes and, and really helping things out when they went down to five against Colorado. But you know, none of that is ideal. Now, all of a sudden you're relying on Hannafin Anderson and Uyghur to play way more and you're asking at least one, if not two guys, to play a little over their heads. So I, it's always been noticeable when Tanev's been out of the lineup. And now that they don't have that kind of number five who could be a number four cushion in Zadorov, I think it's going to be even more noticeable or has the potential to be even more noticeable. Yeah, and with all due respect to the other guys who we're talking about here, so whether it's Nick DeSimone or Jordan Osterley or Dennis Gilbert or Ilya Soloviev, those guys are all six, seven guys in the NHL. Do you think that's fair? They're not top four guys, I can tell you that much. So uh, guys are going to have to play above their heads while Chris Tanev is out. And uh, again, uh, we don't want to rush him back, but if uh, Oliver Shillington was available, he, he gives you that guy who, even if he's playing as your five, could play in your top four, a lot like Nikita Zadorov did. So, yeah, the Flames are definitely going to miss him. And, Pat, I think you bring up an excellent point that maybe they don't miss him quite as much if they still have uh, a borderline top four defenseman like Nikita Zadorov. But that ship has sailed, and we'll see how long they have to play without Chris Tanev. But uh, for the Flames' sake, I hope it's not long. If there is a, a sort of silver lining to this, I think what we're going to find out is what the Flames have in these depth options. And, and that can steer those conversations as you look to either extend or or trade away your pending UFAs as, as you try to determine in the likely event of a trade what sort of return you're looking for. We're going to find out really quick what Ilya Slovyov might be at the NHL level. Yeah. Right, that that's a tough situation. Ilya Slovyov in his sixth NHL game is suddenly on the ice last night, and I think two minutes into that game, Tanev's gone, Hannafin's in the box, and and he's trying to penalty kill against Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen yep. and the crew. 
you're going to find out in moments like that what you have in some of these young players. Dennis Gilbert, a guy that played his butt off last night, as we've all said, he's only 27 years old. He might be a guy that you consider keeping in the fold. He also is a pending UFA. Right. And so you're going to find out, well, is this a guy who can play every night? Or is he a guy who's going to end up being more of the seventh defenseman that he's been cast as for the past couple of years? And, you know, in the event that you need to take a look at Jan Kuznetsov, for example, and that feels a little bit far-fetched to me at this point, but you're going to find out these injuries and ultimately these decisions that you have to make on your blue line you're going to find out what you have. We, d- we don't believe that the Flames have a, a ton of NHL-ready reinforcements on the blue line, but this is your chance to find yep. it. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing. Ryan Huska has talked about how there's an ideal time on ice for players. And speaking about Rasmus Anderson, he said his perfect kind of window for time on ice in a game is 22 to 23 minutes. He played 29 minutes and 37 seconds last night. Yep. So he was way outside of that window. Noah Hannafin, who I thought might play more because uh, he plays a pretty effortless brand of hockey, he played 25-43. And Mackenzie Weger played 25-08. So now all of a sudden, you're taxing three guys who were probably already being taxed too much because the Flames were leaning so heavily on their top four and are going to have to really lean on their top three with Chris Tanev out. So... Well, we'll see how that goes, especially tonight in the second half of a back-to-back against the Golden Knights. Well, and you just wonder if that's what made them susceptible to that breakaway with four minutes left last night, right? Mackenzie Wieger's yep. chasing. Noah Hannafin is trying to scramble back into position. Excuse me. And suddenly the Colorado Avalanche are, are leading. And, and you worry about what that amount of tax that you've taken out of your top three defensemen means tonight, not just in terms of trying to win a hockey game, but in terms of trying to keep those guys healthy. I mean, to lose a a minute-munching defenseman 15 seconds into a game is about as tough a scenario as you can put your blue line through. Yep. Uh, Daily Flames roundtable. Did they consider dressing seven tonight? Maybe. Sorry, Pat. Yeah. Did they consider dressing seven tonight? It's definitely something I've I've had on my mind. I'm not sure if that's what they're going to end up doing, but... You uh, you taxed a lot of your guys. If you want to maybe ease back a little bit, you just played with a five-person rotation on on Monday, so maybe you do go with a seven-person rotation if you want to ease back some of those minutes on the second half of back-to-back and, and a game on Thursday as well. And and Nick DeSimone has played with all yeah, these and guys. he's been shortening his bench. Sorry, it's hard when we're not in the same room. He's been shortening his bench with his forwards in the third period anyway. Yeah. So would it be the worst thing in the world to dress 11 forwards and to play who's ever playing well? Yeah. No, makes sense to me. So our Daily Flames roundtable on this Tuesday edition of Flames Talk. Derek Wills, Wes Gilbertson, Pat Steinberg along with you. Um, and, and maybe more to a, a positive note than on the other side. Guys, here we are. The, the Flames are approaching 30 games. Uh, they're well past the quarter mark of the season. If you were to rank Calgary's best players this season, and if we were all to do kind of a, a list, best players, most impactful players, whatever, how close is Connor Zeri to the top of that list? And what does that say about how much of an impact he's made in his very young NHL career? Well, it's a tough question for me because 
he hasn't played in as many games as the other guys have, but he has been very impactful in the 18 games that he has played in this season. He's uh, put up 13 points, six goals and seven assists during that stretch and has made them look more dangerous offensively. And I was anxious to see him on a line with Elias Lindholm last night. Uh, I didn't think that they were great together, but Zeri once again popped uh, a number of times for me. And, you know, you can always put him back on the left side of a line with Nazem Kadri. I think they used him to try to get uh, Andrew Mangiapane and Dylan Dubé going last night. But you know that you can put Zeri and Kadri back together, and, and that's a combination that has worked really well for the Flames. I'm not sure I'd put him in the top five, only because he's only played in 18 of their 28 games this season. But in the 18 games he's played in, I think you can make an argument that he belongs in the top five. Yeah, he, he'd be top five for me on two different lists. He'd be top five in terms of the Calgary Flames' best performers overall this season, and certainly in the action that, that he's seen. And for me, he would be at the top of the list of guys relative to what my expectations were for them. And I remember, Wilsey, we were talking a couple of weeks ago, I guess it would have been before my Hawaiian getaway about sort of the most impactful performers for the Flames so far this season. And you raised the name Blake Coleman, who continues to be a really nice story for the Calgary Flames. Blake Coleman is a guy who has exceeded expectations, but there's not a ton of veterans on that list for me. Connor Zary is a guy that I thought we would finally see at the NHL level, but I got to be honest, I did not dream that he would have the sort of impact that he has had so far. I mean, in points per game, he's second among NHL rookies to Connor Bedard. And so I just think when you make a list, whether it's straight up best player for the Flames so far this season or best relative to expectations, he has to be near the top right now. Yeah. Well, and you know, guys, like, I know he's played fewer games, but... Has there been a player who's given the Flames a bigger shot in the arm than Connor Zary? Like, he is completely, I don't want to say transformed, but he sure has reignited an offense that looked pretty stale through the month of October. All of a sudden, Zary pops onto the Kadri line in that November 1st game against Dallas, and offensively, they've looked like a significantly different team. And and the line combinations have been a whole lot more steady since Connor Zary's arrived. And, and I, I don't know, I, I think that he would, I, I don't think you'd have to go through very many players, very many forwards before you get to Zary and talking about what he's been able to do on this team. And, and is there, are there still going to be growing pains? Are there still going to be adjustments and all those types of things that a young player has to make playing in the NHL for the first time? Of course, but his ability to create something out of nothing and to do it on a regular basis and his confidence level and brashness to use what we all knew was a high skill level, but to just have no hesitation to show that high skill level at the highest level. Guys, I, I, I think Connor Zary has been a straight up revelation. I, I, I really do. I didn't, 
I thought he was going to be a good NHLer, especially after the last two training camps. I thought that they had something there, but I did not expect them to step into the lineup on November 1st and instantly become one of their most important offensive players, which he has been in every single one or pretty much every single one of his 18 games so far. Even take a look at the goal he scored in Colorado. I don't know how many guys are scoring that goal in in the skill level in yeah. tight that he was able to show. They don't have very many guys on this team with skill level at at that level. And and so for that reason alone and the fact that we've seen it on multiple different occasions since he's jumped in and as Wes just talked about, number two in rookie points per game in the NHL behind only the number one overall pick. I, I think you gotta have him at, at somewhere near the top of the list. He's been he has been the most positive story of the season, bar none, no questions asked for me. The other thing that really impresses me about Connor Zeri is that he's been pretty consistent. I thought there was a bit of a drop off and it might've been health related, you know, for two or three games where he just didn't look like himself. But other than that, he's been pretty consistent. And this is a hard league for young players. Most of the time, there are exceptions to that rule. You know, Connor Bedard's making it look pretty easy, but he's a, a first overall pick. Some think he's a, a generational player. So you expect that from those guys, but, for most rookies, uh, even guys who are considered to be blue chip or close to blue chip prospects, this is a hard league. It's an everyday league, and you can't get away with being close to at your best. You got to be at your best, or or really, really close to, to being at your best uh, to be an impactful player in this league. And I even think about Matt Coronado and the great preseason that he had, and that had some of us wondering if he could potentially fight his way into the Calder Trophy conversation this season. Well, it's it's been hard for him to stay at the NHL level, let alone be an impactful player in this league on a consistent basis. I think he's going to get there, but as a young guy who's in his first full pro season, it's just going to take him a little bit of time. Uh, even Martin Pospisil, who was shot out of a cannon when he got recalled, well, his game has really fallen off. He hardly played last night. So the fact that, uh, and that's not a shot at him, that's just really outlining how tough this league can be for young players. But, you know, for Conazari, he's been really consistent. And the other thing that he's helped to do is get Nazem Kadri going offensively. I think Nazem Kadri has been the Flames' best player this season. But he was snake bitten early in the season. He had one point, an assist, in his first eight games. But in his last 19 games, he's got six goals and 17 points. Do you know when that stretch started? When Connor Zeri got recalled. Exactly. So the fact that Connor Zeri has helped get Nazem Kadri going offensively, uh, I think speaks to, to how good he's been for the Flames and how impactful he's been, not just with the goals and, and points that he's put up, but uh, maybe energizing some other guys as well. I'm glad you mentioned the impact on, on Nazem Kadri because I, I do think it's sort of the greatest compliment you can pay to Connor Zeri. Like, how often do you talk about a rookie who makes players around him better? How often would you talk about putting a, a rookie forward with your top center to try and get him going offensively? You don't have those conversations, right? You talk about Matt Coronado. Hey, well, why is a, a great spot for him to start his career with Blake Coleman and Michael Backlund because those guys are going to help shelter him. what the Calgary Flames are doing with Connor Zary right now and what makes 
the first, I believe, 18 games of his National Hockey League career so impressive is the opposite of sheltering him. They have put him in high-pressure situations with top players, and he's gotten those guys going. And, and yeah, is there some of that on both sides of the coin? Absolutely. Does Nazem Kadri deserve credit for some of Connor Zary's success? Yes, just as much as the other way around. But this is a guy, and this is what is so impressive to me about the Connor Zary story so far. This is a guy who a month and a half into his National Hockey League career is making players around him better. We just don't talk about that. Yep. It's been uh, it's been a really impressive run. We'll uh, see how it continues for young Mr. Zeri, and uh, we'll see what he can do Tuesday night against a very good Vegas Golden Knights team. For now, we'll wrap up our Daily Flames roundtable. Thank you, Willsie. See you in a little bit. Okay, we'll see you soon. He is Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. That's your Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. A few texts at 960-960. Uh, this text says, it speaks volumes to the pathetic forward group on Zeri. Quit comparing him to Bedard which I responded with, zero people have done that, settle down. But we're not comparing him to Connor Bedard in any way, shape, or form. All we're saying is that right now he's second in rookie points per game, which is impressive. Connor Bedard's a generational talent who's a number one overall pick. Nobody's suggesting that about Connor Zeri. What we're saying is that he's having a pretty good rookie season as, as a member of the Flames so far, and he's given them a real offensive shot in the arm. Settle down. Sorry. Um, this says maybe Pelche will do the same thing to Huberdo. Hopes and prayers for that. And uh, you can definitely hope that uh, Jacob Pelche could be the type of guy that maybe could. It's a lot of, that's a lot to put on young Jacob Pelche as he gets ready at some point, we think, in 2024 to return to the NHL lineup. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we definitely saw some good chemistry between Pelche and Huberdo last year. And I would even say with the, the Martin Pospisil, you know, if you lump him, I guess, in with, with the other rookies, and I totally agree with what Derek said on the roundtable, his play has fallen off slightly of late, but he's still a guy, and what I appreciate so much about Pospisil, he's, he's a guy who can be effective when he's not putting up points, and he's a guy who can provide a spark, and you can kind of move around. His versatility is one of his greatest strengths, and and I, I just think when you look at all these rookies and Jacob Peltail soon be on the list, like they, they've really provided a spark yeah. for this Flames team. And for an organization that is pondering its rebuild, retool, re-whatever options, I think it's been a it's been nice to see that there's maybe more in the cupboards than externally they're getting credit for. Yep. With you know, we're, we're excited to see at some point Jeremy Poirier. We're excited to see Jacob Pelche, uh, Hanzek, and Moran down the road. We're going to see Dustin Wolf against Vegas. We're definitely, uh, we're definitely seeing that maybe there is a little more in the cupboards for the Flames than expected. We'll see how that continues. Uh, Pat and Wes, this hour of Flames Talk, and whether you're a fan of sports or a fan of great deals, 403 Local is the place to be. So every time the local hockey heroes are on the ice, you've got the unreal game day special. Every time Flames play, 
two beers and a pizza for just 20 bucks. You're not getting value like that anywhere. Uh, on top of that, Sundays, they got football all day, wall-to-wall big screens, and uh, that comes with 50-cent wings on Sundays and happy hour all day. They also do 50-cent wings on Wednesday. Mondays, dry ribs, just 5 bucks a pound. Also have daily happy hour from 3 till 6. Lunch specials on weekdays from 11.30 till 2.30 plus. 403 locals available for private functions. Visit 403 local in Lake Bonavista and at 403local.com.